0: This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. Are you left wanting more at the end of each episode of this show? Are these short sessions getting you fired up to try new skills for yourself and share the journey with others who are working through the same challenges? Well, the good news is that this podcast is only the beginning. The real action and learning is happening on the Regenerative Skills Discord channel, where you can connect with the whole community to dive deeper into the topics on the show, explore solutions, and share your journey and blooper reel with an active group that can't wait to hear from you. You can get your questions answered and share knowledge and wisdom of your own on a safe platform that, unlike the social media giants, won't steal your personal data to advertise to you in creepy ways. Ditch Facebook and join us where the real skill builders are. Just find the link to the Discord chat on the homepage at regenerativeskills.com. Hey there everybody and welcome back. So by now many of you have heard the few episodes on soil health that I've recorded with people like Harriet Mella, Matt Powers, James White, and others. I know that the subject of soil has become really popular with growers and it's always talked about as being central to the success of regenerative agriculture and broader environmental health. And I don't disagree. Yet, I'm often worried that the discourse around soil science is reminiscent of other scientific studies in which there's a never-ending search for more granular details. This reductionist science that we're often railing against in the regenerative sphere. This breaking down of components of the whole overview, down into chemistry, biology, and even down to anatomical structure. All of which can prevent making the learnings accessible to soil stewards, growers, and land managers. Now, Such detailed science shrouded in a veil of technological jargon and research papers makes me feel that the real learnings are inaccessible and overly complicated. And for that reason, I've often held back from really digging deeper into soil on this show. On this podcast, I really hope to find the key concepts and actionable information that anybody can use to get real results, and that's often been hard to find. Yet that's exactly what brings me to today's session, where I get to speak to a soil scientist and a consultant who believes, as I do, that we need to make our soil concepts and principles more accessible and to help to guide land managers along the way to learn how to make their own observations and discoveries in order to foster relationships of understanding with the land that we take care of. So Ian Robertson has a lifelong involvement in all things soil, growing up on an organic farm and working with various roles helping farmers to understand their soils. His current role is as General Manager of Sustainable Soil Management, a soil testing and consultation company in the UK. Now, over the last 20 years, Ian has developed the most detailed soil test, which is widely used throughout the UK and Europe, allowing farmers a greater understanding of how best to manage their soil. Ian delivers soil presentations that are practical and engaging, and he works across all sectors of agriculture to build long-term relationships between himself, farmers, and their soil. Now, in this episode, we start by exploring what aspects of soil are really essential to understand a holistic picture of the function of the earth that you're working with, as well as the best tests to gain that knowledge. Now, Spoiler alert, many of those tests turn out to be things that you can observe with your own senses. We use that part of the discussion as a springboard, then, towards which soil stewardship practices are broadly beneficial and represent the least amount of risk, regardless of the soil type and makeup that you have. So Ian's learnings from decades and thousands of soil tests make up a very practical and digestible overview of the more detailed science out there, and hopefully will act as an antidote to the overwhelming amount of information about soil out there at the moment. So with that out of the way, I'll hand things over now to Ian Robertson. Alright Ian, well it's wonderful to speak to you again, how have you been doing? Yeah, really good, thank you. Yeah, great to see you. It's been a while. We've been trying to do this for a while, haven't we?
1: So it's good to finally get things sorted.
0: Yeah, I mean, coordinating schedules across uh, boundaries and time zones and stuff is always a trick, but we did finally get here. And I'm super excited to speak to you, not only about the work that you do, but around some broader topics and maybe some trends in agriculture, which I know you've got your finger on the pulse of. So let's start with the beginning. We went through your introduction when we did that panel discussion with Ben and Ed as well. So let's go yep. more into the company that you manage and how you started to get into soil assessments and agronomical advice, partnering with different organizations uh, in agriculture in the UK. Maybe start there.
1: Yeah, yes, a long, a long time ago. Um, I'm very fortunate in the respect that my father was a organic farmer in Scotland, and right from the get go, um, I was a, my grandmother farmed as well, so we were always involved in farming and. I then uh, went to Newcastle University, studied agriculture, and uh, I was like the pariah. Everyone thought it was very weird. You're an organic farmer. When talking in the 90s at this point, and everyone thought, very strange. Anyway, it, it set up well. I then started working with my father in, in the 2000s. And we were doing, we just it started working with the Perry Labs in Missouri with the Albrecht analysis, which again was a very... But it was new to the, very new to the UK because
0: we'd always been based on the indices system. Yeah, can you explain the Albrecht analysis real quick?
1: So the old, old Albrecht analysis based on William Albrecht looking at um, cation exchange, cation exchange balances, ratios, etc., and trying to understand how soils perform rather than just a sufficiency method. Or you haven't got enough. Apply some more, like an index system. Um, and it was un, we we certainly found it very useful in the early days because it was unpicking. A lot of questions to a lot of farmers who had on the index system where well, you're looking for two, 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 and pk magnesium, six and a half pH, but yet the crops weren't performing like they would expect them to. So then by using um prairie labs and the Albrecht analysis, we were finding there were lots of other things going on that were masking or being masked by the index. Yeah. And at that point, we started talking about calciums and um. Potash in relationship to magnesium and soil structure. And again, it was, it seemed a long time ago, but people were quite surprised that a soil test could help them understand why the soil was performing like it was. It had always been seen as a way of finding out what my nutrients were and doing a fertilizer plan or a nutrition plan. And so that was in the early, early 2000s. We then developed it more, and in about 2006, I think it was, we formed a business called Sustainable Soil Management. And the reason we formed that was because the original business we were involved in was with biostimulants, so seaweeds and some biological, very early biologicals. And the industry was at the stage that if you did a soil test, you were deemed to be selling something. Hmm. We were doing a soil test and we're charging for our time, but because our parent company was selling biostimulants, everyone thought, oh, you're just doing a soil test to sell stuff. So we formed Sustainable Soil Management, and the, the real price by that was, we will just sell you soil tests and time. That's how we're gonna make our living. And it was a really interesting couple of years because a lot of people that were working or would be like to work with the, the, the concept didn't because of the commerciality. As soon as we formed sustainable soil management, people went, oh, you're independent. Same person, still me with a different hat on, but they were like, yeah, cool. Let's start working together. That really enabled the business to grow which is probably where we start to get the most learning from. Because we kind of knew what we were trying to do with the soil physics, chemistry, and biology, but, but people weren't doing it. And now people said, right, well, actually, we will do this. We will look at changing cultivation. We will look at rotation. We will look at biologicals. And suddenly you kind of get this sort of epiphany moment when you're doing more than one thing and things start to work. We are creating systems on farm and farmers, growers were seeing results over and above what they were doing if they're just changing one thing.
0: Yeah. Which was great. And so when did the biological understanding come into this? I know that this wasn't a big part of agronomical advice for a long time and you were kind of on the cutting edge of it, at least in the UK. When did that piece start to fit together for you and how did it influence the way you did your analysis?
1: And um, I think if you go really getting right back to my first job in two thousand, we were talking to farmers about worms and worm extracts uh, mm-hmm. on a very simple thing that Rothamsted here showed that the work that a, a worm cast was a lot more richer in nutrients than surrounding soil, so we used to talk about very simple biology about worms um, and improving them. It got more exciting again in 2008, 2009, when we started working with a fermenter in the UK, looking at specific strains of nitrogen fixing, phosphate mobilizing. Um, However, we were always rather cautious because what we were seeing is when we were talking about just the biologicals and selling a biological, we were getting a 50, 70% success rate. And that again, led us all the way back to soil testing we would do an Albrecht analysis, catalytic analysis, before we would try and sell the farmer any biologicals. Because quite a lot of the early stage biologicals and those days weren't very robust. So they, were, they, were, they were, you know, slightly unfair, but you look at them on a Tuesday and they die. You put them in a tank with a bit of chloride, they die. There were lots of problems with it. So we were trying to, trying to get the system to work better. Um, and that led me originally to do quite a lot of work with um, a fermenter in the UK called David Ward and we started out trying to create products that were based on we want them to stay alive it seems a little bit backward but rather than show really good efficacy we said well we want them to be able to be used by the grower I, they need to be able to be sprayed on they need to be able to be mixed with things they need to be able to get into the soil no, we don't want lots of lab work showing that in soft environments these biologicals work. We want to break it first and show that it stays alive and works. So that mm. you know that was going on at the same time as we were sort of building soil tests. And it was all realistically, we're trying to offer a complete package. It's not about sales, it's about we want your soils to improve. That again also then led to more composting. You know, and you're where we're right up now with things like the Johnson Sioux bioreactors and things, the world has moved a long way. Well, I say it's moved, people have realized that this has been around for a long time, but they're now building into their farming practice.
0: So with all of these different analysis that you've seen and how your investigation into soil has evolved over time, I would imagine that you have seen some incredible patterns of how management affects biology or how management affects the the nutrient cycling or or the nutrient availability within soils over different types of crops, different types of machinery use. Can you give me an insight into some of the truisms that you've started to find since doing so many different analyses?
1: Uh, Management reduces nutrient availability
0: okay elaborate on that <laughs> that's, I mean, that's,
1: that's a real throwaway comment it, yeah.
0: no no it's, it's a really good base to start from right the, but, but it's pretty broad so tell me what you mean by yeah. that well, what what can I mean by that is that we were finding again the, the journey
1: the, a lawful lot of what we were doing with management was is significantly reducing microbial populations, diverse microbial populations in soils, and in turn was reducing the connection between plants and microbes. Therefore, it was reducing what we call free nutrition available to the plant. And then a free, monetary free that is. So we weren't having to put it on. So a lot of what was I've seen over the years is, yeah, we think we're doing the right thing, but actually it's from a nutritional point
0: of view, it's, it's, it's not helping. But give me an example of these management practices that have been undercutting what they say they're trying to do.
1: Um cultivate uh, disturbance. Cultivation is a classic sure. one.
0: Yeah, um, tillage.
1: In, tillage, increased horsepower, and in working when we shouldn't be working soils because we can, or we're mm-hmm. under financial pressure to get them flicked over. Mm. Um chemical. Uh, so in that respect, excessive use of salt-based fertilizers, mm. which I say excessive, but that can that can be only say three hundred kilos of nitrogen. It's not huge, but it's it over a period of sustained period of time, 15, 20 yeah. years, it adds up. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there's the area that I'm. I, you know, I, I think there is a lot of work still to be done. Is through, you know, excessive fungicides, plant protection products, etc. Yeah, um, having a. A, a small but important break in microbial communities. So all all these things were going on. and almost like the flywheel was going faster and faster and faster. You know the more I apply, the more fertilizer I use, the more fungicide I need. And you're going, yeah, that kind of stacks up. So mm. why don't we do less? And then that's when a massive problem I think happened was that we did less in isolation. So we know cultivation in theory is bad. Let's keep it really simple. So what are we going to do? We stop cultivating, but we don't do anything else. We don't do anything else to improve biology. We don't do anything else to uh, improve seed efficacy or vigor, et cetera. Mm. And then we say, well, reduced cultivation doesn't work. And again, no, it's because you looked at it in isolation. And this is why at the beginning, the system piece, and the system comes from people in agriculture willing to pay for advice. And that's quite a new concept in the uk how new would you say that is um in the last well 15 years probably or maybe not even that people have talked about it too, yeah. but not willing because the the industry's been really great at giving advice away for free Ah, uh, sure. and and so you know you, you you do a light you do a soil test and then the person that's done the soil test will give you a fertilizer recommendation hmm or a line recognition or whatever. Um, So when they start saying, well actually we're not going to give you a line recognition, but we're going to charge you for a time to talk about the the holistic management, that um, again was part of the sustainable soil management brief. Um, Mm. It took a long, we found it quite difficult to break into that because there was lots of people giving free advice. Now the key part for us was that the advice we were giving was about a system to improve soil,
0: rather than a linear that, recommendation, or... which
1: is probably what they were used to. Yeah, you, you're building something, that, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna have a relationship, all over, we're gonna start looking at your soils. We want to be working with you for the next 10 years. And in agriculture, we tend to be quite short, so we you know, might've got a short term farm business tenancy. if you've got three years with that land. And at that point they go, well, yeah, I love what you're saying, but I've only got it for three years. How do I maintain maximum output and be as profitable as possible? And yep. that kind of flies in some of the face of what we were trying to do indeed um so it was it was it was, yeah, it was interesting times but it's i feel it's a lot easier now people are looking a lot more to invest in land um and invest in the biodiversity um in soil microbial communities it's, it's much more talk phase it's,
0: sure it's just, the public is much more aware of it
1: yeah yeah yeah, you know, you know, kiss the ground. All these things are now yeah. almost household names. Has made my life uh, an awful lot easier because it's <laughs> it, it's, it, it's the push pull bit, isn't it? There's now sure. The public are talking about it. The the end users talking about it. The process is talking about it. Yeah, and, and we just need to make sure that we don't get lost in measuring things because we can. We want to measure things to take action. for management
0: I'm very glad to hear you say that because this has been one of my apprehensions in diving really deep into the world of soil science to me, as I have observed it, and I I could definitely be wrong here, you can go easily down a rabbit hole into the chemistry and the biology and learn very, very minute, very specific things about soil life and, and chemical composition that then you have no idea what to do with that information and actually doesn't translate to action. It just becomes a dog chasing its tail into more information that maybe doesn't uh, end up in any results. I don't know if that's what you've been seeing as well, Maybe it's just the fad of the fact that we're learning so much about soil right now that we didn't know um, up until very recently. But I'm always looking for, okay, what does this information mean for me in practices in what I can actually do on the land? And this is why I've been excited to speak to you because I've had so many good recommendations that that's the connection that you've been able to make. How do you feel yeah, about
1: that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's um, so much information and you know we can measure stuff to the nth degree. I'm slightly old school. So what? You're realistically so what? and it's it's we kind of forget sometimes we love chasing rabbit holes or the new the next thing that's coming over the hill. Yeah. We can measure we now we can measure to the infinite degree how many bacteria I've got everywhere and to four thousand different generous. And I'm like, well okay, um why? Yeah. Yeah. To, to yeah. what's the point? Well we can do it. I'm like, Brilliant, well done. But what does that mean for my farming practice? Yeah. And it's it slides into the fact that we end up getting slightly stuck in that you kind of make teams. So I'm a plough team. Well, I'm a direct drilling team. I'm a biological team. I'm a yeah, chemical yeah, yeah. team. I'm like, oh, man, you're all on the same team. Yeah. And I'll often <laughs> say at meetings, you know, I love ploughing. In the same breath, I hate ploughing. Yeah. It kind of, you know, it's what is what does my soil want? And if I am going to plough it, have I told it I'm going to plough it? Mm. And you're obviously not going to be on your knees talking to your soul, but well, you can do. I don't mind. You can do that course, There's other ways it. of communicating, sure. Communicate. Uh, yeah, you need to talk to your soul to say if I'm not if I was plowing it, I'm not going to plow you. This is what I'm going to do to help you get over the hump. Mm. And that comes into your systems and other things we can do within the rotation or within that cultivation system. Yeah. Um, and yeah. but I, yeah, I, I love I love your thought process of you know, we we're we're measuring
0: it, we're measuring it, we're measuring it, we're measuring it. You end up just
1: measuring stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, so, you know, I kind of operate somewhat in this uh, agri-tech space with climate farmers and many of our partners where it seems like the, the constant underlying narrative that motivates this little slice of the industry is more data means we will be able to get better results. And yet at the same time, (laughs) we now have more data and information and scientific analysis of our agricultural industry than we've ever had. And arguably, it's never been so destructive. And so there's a disconnect between that logic. And also, I mean, you know, how much micro information and data do you need? in order to do something that we as humans have been able to do for hundreds of thousands of years, potentially, and that isn't to say that there aren't great insights to be had in new forms of analysis. I don't wanna you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but what in your opinion are some of the essential things that someone should have a grasp on? And that is really you know, the minimum effective dose to be able to go out into the field and make effective strategies or decisions.
1: I think the key is you've got two pairs of eyes, mm-hmm. and and uh, look and see, feel what your soil is doing, mm. and 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 really, really drill into that a lot more. We, I think we've really lost the connection between uh, practitioners and soil, mm. and it's probably slightly unfair. There's a lot of science in soil now. a lot of science. we keep wanting to do more science. And I often wonder, do we keep wanting to do more science because we don't want to actually stop and say we've got it wrong and change things? Mm. We want to keep finding stuff out rather than going, hang on, just stop. Let's change some fundamental bits at the moment rather than trying to keep chasing stuff. And some of the really fundamental bits is sitting down with growers and talking to them about soil, just the basics. You know, we're running some courses in the UK, um, healthy soils connected and it's just almost what it is it's going right back to a sort of, uh, school level of understanding how a soil functions because i think there's a huge lack of knowledge in it's certainly in the uk on um, producers you get this sort of basic understanding that's not there but with so much really clever stuff that's academic stuff but we can't join the dots hmm. so one of the key things that we're getting a lot of growers to do is uh, yeah, come along to these kind of things, understand soils more, but then go right back to basics. Yeah, we're doing a lot of visual
0: soil assessments with growers. Yeah.
1: And then what then are it's... some of
0: those assessments that you do? Because this is exactly what I'm looking into right now. Like, what are all of the things that we can observe and understand with the very finely tuned instruments that are attached to our bodies <laughs> <laughs> before we go into the lab and start, you know, messing around with chemistry? Because while that's important. I don't think it's important when you have no uh sensory connection with the soil first
1: yeah so again uh, we're on a laptop now if we were in a farmyard i'd walk in there i'd shut your laptop stop looking at stuff on your laptop let's get out of the field let's use our eyes nose hands smell look at things and and so the visual soil assessment is really really brilliant however there's a slight hiccup with it in the we will get growers out there, look at the, the crumb structure, look at rooting depth, look at rhizo all those things there and get them smelling soils and a you know, really active dock growing in a field compared to where there's no, no plant growing. And those things are really important. The, the tricky part is when we look at a visual soil assessment and we see, let's say, consolidation or compaction, the immediate response has always been, right, we'll cultivate. Yeah i'm like oh hang on why oh because it's it's compacted okay what we've got to remember i think is that a lot of your physics of your soil comes from your chemistry and that includes you know your sand silk clay fraction Mm -hmm. how do they perform the bulk densities the the particle sizes in there and then you start putting things like humus in there that allows those sand silk clay fractures slip and slide you can't see this with your eyes and then you get Go back to the all break stuff. You look at the total element, cation elements in the soil. Those cations—calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, and sodium to a degree—have a structural effect. So things like sodium, for example, will stack or flatten your clay colloids. So you can have a really compacted-looking, uh, stratified layer of soil. You go brilliant. What am I doing? I'm going to do is I'm going to cultivate it. So you cultivate it up, and then the sodium's still there. And what does it do? It goes back down again yeah so it's that physical the, the visual soil assessment really cool however we always will try and uh, coordinate that with a chemical test to try and allow us to understand why that soil is still performing because it may be it may be genuine compaction due to excessive trafficking and working or it could be that we've got issues with our cations having a structural effect
0: yeah
1: and, and then it becomes more interesting because you know understanding soils rather than just saying, I've got a problem, try and fix it. Mm-hmm.
0: Beyond what we're able to observe with our own senses, where do you think that laboratory analysis really is essential and is really valuable for someone? Let's say they've already done the visual soil assessments. They have a decent understanding of what's growing above. They can you know, sense some of the basics, compaction, aggregate, you know, we could go through a long list, but beyond that, where does it really become necessary to look deeper, get under a microscope or do some chemical tests?
1: I think I'd, I'd start with the chemical test because there's a lot. Um, it's easy to send it to a lab to get a chemical test and it is with just a number of people that are trained to look down microscopes at the moment. Um, so we'd be sending it off or I'd be asking the send sent off to a, a lab to look at things like pH and the buffer pH. Um, we look at the different pools of organic matter, so loss by ignition or long, long organic matter, do mass organic matter, and then you do the active carbon, the potassium manganate test to see how much of that organic matter is cycling. That then throws out a C to N ratio. And then the other part that really, I think really important is your sand silk clay. So you get it textured, which you can do by hand initially, and then we will then measure the total amount of nutrition that's on those colloids. So that then drives the soil structure, things like the aqua regia extract.
0: Yeah.
1: And that is kind of the, it's a backbone of the gold soil analysis we started in yeah, 2000. And it allows us then to uh, look at the, the, the visual soil assessment and go, well, yeah, these are issues. Oh, I can see why you've got that. And then it uh, helps you to understand that, well, I need to, let's say I'm short of phosphorus. Well, my pH is eight. I've got excessive calcium on my colloids. Therefore, I've got to think differently about how I'm going to manage phosphorus rather than just apply phosphorus to the soil. And you're you're giving an understanding of why the soil like it is, but also solutions of how we then want to grow it. So should we use more legumes if they're more acidic root exudates, um, et cetera. So the probably pH, buffer pH, the texturing of the soil, the different pools of organic matter, and the total extracting nutrients in the soil to give us an understanding of how that soil structurally sits.
0: Okay. And are there many labs available in different parts, especially of Europe, uh, other than your own, that are able to do this? Or do you kind of have a exclusive method that that is effective? Yeah, the- no, no, no <laughs> that,
1: I mean, I, I say most labs, I mean, we, we get soils coming from all around the world to us. Um, but yeah, the other labs can can do it. it. It's it's an it's an ISO um, procedure, um, so it is it's it's available out there. I've always been surprised why not more labs do it. Hmm. I'm probably doing this podcast going to shoot my business down because everyone's <laughs> going to do it. There. However, um, I, I don't know. I, I think it may be back down to the fact that you can have all these numbers, but it's the skill of the interpretation. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're busy writing stuff at the moment to try and make it easier. But there's so there's quite a lot of nuances. You know, there's this, you, you run the, the numbers, you go to that number, that copies down, you go round and round. It's 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 very difficult getting one head around and understand interpreting the numbers. And that really comes from experience. Sure. Yeah, work with like Ben Taylor Davis, Ed Brown. You know, Andre Guillem with uh, Sir France in in, in France. So there are people we work with that try and help and train. Um, but if you're not doing them on a regular basis, it can be quite tricky. Mm-hmm. Sure, this is
0: where the real knowledge and experience comes from. I get that. Now, I want to dive into the effects of some of these management practices that we touched on earlier that have been counterintuitive to what growers say that they want to achieve on their fields, things like tillage, uh, fertilization, and crop management. Can you give me a brief overview about how those are undercutting the overall goals? And then from there, we can go into the management practices that are actually having a positive effect or reversing those trends. Maybe starting with tillage. I mean, you know, there's so much talk right now about going no-till in all kinds of different types of enterprises. Maybe give me an insight from your experience on what that Looks like under the microscope or in analysis?
1: Well, we've seen um, if from a soil that is uh, being used to being tilled, it's it been it's used to aerobic conditions. And the first thing that we do, we stop tilling it, and then we see these aerobic conditions go anaerobic. And everything that's in that soil is being, hang on, I'm used to being aerobic. I'm getting anaerobic. And you get this kind of constipation, this kind of stuttering stop. But meanwhile, we have still stuck the seed in the ground and hope that we're gonna get our 12 ton of wheat coming out.
0: And that- You completely messed up the biological communities there with no oxygen getting into those layers.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, reduction ox- oxygen going in. Um, you, you may find that because you've had a lot of air in there, you've got a lower the level of organic matter than the soil needs for structural integrity. So quite quickly, it's going hard. And as soon as it starts going hard, we don't get the root penetration, we don't get those sugars, lipids, etc. pushed into that soil structure. And the soil goes, oh, hang on, what are you doing for me? No, it, people talk about going a no-till hump, if you like. You go no-till for a bit, you get a yield depression, then eventually it comes back up. I'm slightly old school, I can't afford to do that. You know, if I'm going no-till, I'm gonna do other things to try and help. Yeah, of course. So I'll override it. And those kind of things are, you know, can we incorporate more organic matter or should we do clever cultivation on our way to no-till? Or are our soils ready? Go back to what I said earlier, oh, about speaking to the soils, I am a farmer, I want to go no-till. I mean, right, okay, well, your soil, you've cultivated it excessively for the last five years, 10 years, it's a high sand content. It's got a low organic matter. You go no-till, you're gonna go very, very broke hmm. very quickly. So what do we do to mitigate that to get us on a journey that in three years time we will be made, maybe no-till or we might till one in five
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's it's coming away from the sort of dogmatic approach to be more pragmatic about what we want to do and why you know what what does the soil need to have done to it and you know have we got layers within our soil we've got quite high organic matter at the surface and lower deeper down in which case we need to focus our energy on getting roots into that deeper area to maintain the organic matter, m- microbial communities, etc. cetera. Um, and that, one of the things we see that manifesting itself in chemistry is we see a real drop off initially of phosphorus. Okay. And then it's, it's kind of self-fulfilling then. So the plant has got no phosphorus. It's got low energy. It's not moving sugars. And then you get this weak plant and the weak plant and the soil gets tighter and you go, ah. Oh, the old adage of you know again from 18th century you know a bad crop follows a bad crop follows a bad crop mm. running we've lost the connection from the sun's energy to the soil yeah so yeah yeah. Soil just goes ah oh, well wait i'll wait for something good to happen and it doesn't sure um, and then the other part you can see is where you know we it happened last two years ago sorry when nitrogen prices went very high so it's really bad to apply nitrogen headline so, right, we're going to reduce our nitrogen but again the soil and the soil microbiome is used to being fed air and nitrogen so we stop feeding it air we stop feeding it nitrogen and we still expect the same result
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so it's it, it's managing change
0: ultimately yeah definitely okay so then going from there to well yeah let, let's go more with the the crop protection methods right so what are the effects that they're having especially on the biological communities of the soil uh talking about maybe the the most common one glyphosate which is up for renewal right now in in europe
1: yep yes this again it's a there's it's a yeah it's a very emotive one this one Um, there's
0: there's so many different products too it's kind of hard to lump them all together i would imagine they have their own unique effects
1: yeah yes and it's I think NIAB are about to um, publish something showing that the cultivation is active, uh, applying uh, fungicides and things like glyphosate to the soil or to the crop is much worse for things like mycorrhizal fungi than cultivation. Uh, Historically everyone's gone on about about cultivation being the worst thing you can do for for fungi But, but actually seemingly The chemical disturbance that we're doing is having more potentially more of a negative effect. Yeah. Um, So it's 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 kind of watch the space. We've got to sort of match things up. If we're if using two, three litres of glyphosate a hectare allows me to grow a 30 tonne biomass cover crop that I wouldn't normally grow. I think at this moment in time, I'm going to use three litres of glyphosate. Now, five, six years time, I may be told, well, that's a stupid thing to say. But at this moment in time, we need certainly oh, a lot of the growers I work. We don't have any other destruction method. You know, we haven't got sheep. We haven't got the ability to graze. The, the, the infrastructure is not there. It's happening. Don't get me wrong. That's that's what's what's going at the moment. but Short term, our soils are depleted of organic matter. So I would like to do whatever I can to grow it. Now, if I'm growing a three-ton biomass of cover crop and then I'm using three different glyphosate, well, that's that's not going to work for me. Yeah, because you're, you're you're not delivering enough for, for 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 the negative. So there's a there's a balancing act there again about why am I using it? Can I use things to make it more efficacious? So you know, citric acid, fulvic acid, these type of things. Um, can I do it in conjunction with some um, physical disturbance? So could I crimp, then open up, and then things like things like the black grass are more available. Therefore, you do a lesser amount of uh, herbicide. Um, and I think that's where I, where we kind of sit in the, we will try and use the best chemical or make the chemical use the least amount of chemistry we can and make it work as best we can for the yeah. biggest result on the farm.
0: And this is where that nuance and balancing act like you keep mentioning comes in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think we, you know, I've
1: again, the Chronicle tell me off because I don't sit in any camp. You know, again, like a light like playing a hate playing a light like glass, a hate glossy. It's what are we trying to do on the farm, and what the aspirations of the farm are.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what are the tools available to us to get there, right? If they're already certified organic, well, that's not going to be one of the options. And so we need to look at a different toolbox.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, it goes all the way back to, you know, working with dad years ago is that we, we were doing organic farming practices in conventional farming. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we kind of forgotten that. The more we can do learn from the organic eye, biodynamic eyes the better there's no harm in bringing that into well that's in mainstream conventional agriculture but whatever we're calling it these days
0: yeah well so let's go to now the practices that maybe are more innovative and are starting to move things in the right direction so you know coming out of destroyed soils um issues with compaction or lack of nutrients or whatever how do we start to get on the right track and you know, we we still have to come back to the nuance and the, the holistic look at things. We can't just paint with a broad brush and say cover crops will work for everybody all the time, you know, <laughs> because at this point, regen ag is starting to be defined by principles and practices rather than by outcomes, which is interesting. <laughs> and I guess you yeah. kind of where it's headed right now. How do you feel about all this?
1: Yeah, like, um, it goes back, you know, cover crops, love them, hate them. And so many guys in the UK piled into cover crops would never do it again. It wasn't the cover crops fault it was a choice or the management of the cover crop.
0: Yeah. It, it caused the problems.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, cover crops are brilliant, much cleverer cultivation, or oh, go back to the beginning of understanding your soils to find out what your soil needs. I know that's, that's, a, you know, that's a political answer, it doesn't tell you anything. However, <laughs> it goes back to the fact that the more we know about your soil, you then stop looking at Twitter, you start reading the magazine oh well, johnny's doing this down the road or jane's doing this down the road you can watch i don't really care their soul type is totally different to what we're doing we need to do different things so it comes but all the principles of regen agriculture and the first one is the mindset and that mindset sometimes is stop looking over the hedge and focus on your own yeah and it, i know there's an awful lot of information and Knowledge transfer out there, but sometimes I get, I guess, just gets, you can stop, it goes back to a rabbit hole, you get stuck in a rabbit hole of Twitter, mm. or whatever, on and on and on and on, or um, keep chasing something, you actually stop. Let's look at what we're doing here. What are we going to do? Um, so, your point, cover crops, brilliant companion cropping, clever cultivations. What can we do to improve the microbial diversity? So whether that's your own compost, Pekashi, Johnson's super reactors, all those type of things, or even buying biologicals, you know, endophytes and those type of things, they all have a part to play. Um, however, some will work better on some soils, that's kind of where the advice fits in and you know, the key bits to measure first. So what do we really want to do? Will it work? You know, I'm running uh, PH is of eight. Well, fungi is going to struggle at a pH of eight. Oh, quite a lot of your fungi, sapphytic will do all right, but a lot of your, your other fungi, mycorrhizae, will struggle at that. So, how do we acidify the roots then? Well, we could put citric acid down on pipe. You know, if short term, acidify the roots and the plant will then acidify it. So, there's so many things we can be doing, soft things we can be doing within the growing of the crops that will really enable us to, to, to jump off this kind of flywheel of the old moron principle. Talk about self now but you know keep chucking more at it we will actually stop and get it cycling um and that is you know, again fundamental principle to region yeah, it is connect the sun to the soil via a plant if we're doing that all the time we will be improving what's happening on the on the um uh, in the soil sorry
0: and that's potentially one of the most economical ways of doing that
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I mean you can make it expensive, don't get me wrong. You can spend a lot of money doing that um you know however, there's within the rotation, you know how many different species can we bring in and um, how how long in a in a rotation can we have that sun connected to the soil um whether that's relay cropping by cropping, you know putting the herbal lays in for two or three years and bring livestock onto the farm. That's, I love that idea. However, a lot of the UK we're not set up for it. So the livestock we talk about is the underground stuff, the worms, the protosers, the psyllids, the amoebas, all those things, that's what, they're, they're the livestock we should be farming.
0: Gotcha. And are there any practices that you do feel confident that you could broadly recommend without having to know too much information? Are there things that simply just don't go too wrong that that there's much risk in in applying them?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, very simply. Um, so one of the biggest, easiest things to do is a sort of rhizosphere phosphate. Well, treating the rhizosphere. So we, I'm a big fan of using a lot of, sort of conversion. We use a little bit of things like uh, DAP. I know some people don't like that, but we use DAP, diammonium phosphate. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and we're using that because a lot of places we're drilling late. So we're drilling a, a wheat crop into cold soil conditions mm-hmm. expecting it to grow so we give it a little you know um, we're going to give it about two kilos of nitrogen and 12 kilos of phosphorus per hectare and you know that'll just help you at that point it goes thank you very much it gets its solar panel up and it starts working yeah so where we're drilling late we do things like that if we're drilling um into sort of warmish soils then we would again it i don't think it any reason why anyone shouldn't be doing this, we'd be putting a biologically, not compost tea, Johnson Sioux extract down mm. into the risers again, place it with the seed or as close to it as possible.
0: You really can't go wrong I'm with these ones. Sorry?
1: You really can't go wrong with these ones. I, know, something like that. I, I really, I generally can't see why you, you would you would go wrong with that. Um, and then the other part that we're doing, come out of soil is we we're doing more sap testing or have been doing for a number of years now. And then try, if we're missing stuff, foliar feed into to make the plant enable itself to be a stronger, healthy plant, more photosynthesis, more energy pushed back down into the soil. Um, and they're, they're probably the two things I would do regardless, you've got all your other stuff obviously, you know, applying manures as and when, but actually if I'm out here now and I'm drilling wheat, they're the other kind of things really focus on the rhizosphere. Um and get as many and the strong microbial connection with that root, the rhizophagy cycle, et cetera, starting as well as we can. If it's too cold, then cheat. Put a bit of ammonium phosphate down the enable the plant to get over it. You know? And sometimes I think people get too hung up on the fact that, oh, ammonium phosphate will stop the rhizophagy cycle. But I've seen loads of pictures with massive rhizophagy when we put a small amount of DAP, diammonium phosphate down the only
0: option so is at least minimal yeah it's it's it's
1: it's it's the worst of two evils is not it? a small amount i shouldn't be drilling late but i need to drill late because i need to get my crop in the ground
0: yeah so i
1: can't i can't be perfect you know agriculture
0: is not a perfect thing no sure and you're dealing with so many variables all the time you need to have you know all the options available to you Mm -hmm. i get that do you see anything that is coming out in the industry, either on the analytics side or in the products or practice side that you're excited about, that you think holds a a lot of promise at this point? No. (laughs) No, there's there's (laughs) nothing really new, huh? Um,
1: uh, Yes. Well, I think what I'd really, really, um, new, new stuff coming on board is you know, all the, you know with, with the CRISPR, are we going to get different genes into different plants? Hmm. No. Again, that's a, it's a quite interesting area. I think that that can help. Um, plant breeders are, are really now talking about not yield, about root architecture suddenly. Mm. Again, really exciting because we know thinking about you know that foundation stage again i'm apologies i'm talking about wheat quite a lot here that foundation stage of wheat get those roots really established to allow the plant to then do be be more water resilient and mm-hmm. um, so that's exciting analysis wise i think i go back to what i said earlier that there's an awful lot of new analysis coming out because we can and i think an awful lot of agriculture still hasn't got the basics right with the basic tools we've got yeah Yeah. so i'm very nervous of seeing more and more analysis and everyone's everyone's chasing it you know the fifth floor and we haven't even got above the first floor yet yeah
0: yeah yeah no i really i really agree with that i mean not knowing so much of the details of agriculture i see the same thing repeated in so many other aspects even outside of agriculture in general like you know we're trying to polish the silver when the food isn't cooked yet, you know? Yep, Because it's just Absolutely. jumping steps so much, yeah. Um, and so in, in going back to fundamentals, um, what advice would you give to growers to cultivate or to think about in their management strategy, let's say for the next season, as we're starting to wind down on this one and go into next year, what should they be paying attention to or maybe build an understanding of in order to achieve their goals If you know what, however broad that might be, um, I think the I would look at going if I if I was farming, now we
1: were we're pretty much shut shop because so wet here. Mm -hmm. I'd I would go and say, right, I'm going to go and do a course on soil management, understand some basic soils, and also understand how a plant utilizes nutrients. I I think the really basic part is that. We get a plant with a microbial association in the soil with a deep root. We then apply the nutrition that's best suited for that soil type, whether it's phosphorus, potassium. There's a lot, that yeah, just because it says NPK on it or magnesium or sulfur, doesn't mean it's going to work consistently on every soil type. Yeah, of course. So they're the, they're the kind of learnings that I think I would be asking growers to do, because you either own the land or you're on a you know, farm business tendency for five, 10 years. So the more you know about that, everything you buy will be more effective and a phrase I use a lot at a lot of the meetings I do part of my role is to enable farmers to become educated purchasers so they will you also need you need stuff but don't be sold it go and buy it because you know that will have that product is the best product for your soil type or the crop rotation you're growing and too often or not we're brilliant at being sold to so, well, no, no, don't. they Just understand how that will work on your soil. So I think that's what I'd be focusing, focusing my time on. It's, again, in the UK at the minute, it's too late to be digging. Well, it's not too late. You can go and dig soil holes now, but you'll get
0: very wet and muddy.
1: <laughs> you potentially <laughs> learn a lot. Um, and there's so a lot of really tests,
0: good. or at least visual tests, that are not going to be done effectively in saturated soils. No. No, it's quite funny.
1: We'll do, I mean, we we will do some over winter and everyone's there freezing cold. Gloves and hats on. And why am I out? Can we go to the office again? <laughs> They're shivering like, oh, this is awful. Um, so most of it, again, most of it we, we do lots of digging in the summer and the spring and autumn. Um, but that said, if you've never dug a hole, give, you know, give someone a ring. You know, there's lots of people that know about it. Go out and dig a hole. It starts with that first hole um, and don't, don't be um. So don't be don't be shy about the fact that you might not know what you're looking at. You're not alone. So many, so many growers. Do not you dig a hole hmm, Yeah, that's nice. But they're not really <laughs> sure what they're looking for. So I don't know if that answered the question. Probably not. Um, no, that's
0: pretty good. But it brings me to another aspect of this. You know, in finding the patterns and stuff. Do you see real potential for? You know, over time, let's say a handful of years, or maybe it would take a decade to get to a point in, you know, uh, I guess all of these operations are so diverse. So let's let's say a, a, an arable cropping operation to become fairly independent from inputs uh, through good management. I mean, do you really see that as a possibility that people can shoot for?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, th- 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 there is a limiting factor to that. Isn't it? If you think that we're trying to grow, excuse me, we're trying to grow, let's say 12 tons of wheat our farm is geared, you know, we're a rented land, we've got lots of overheads. You know, we we need to grow twelve 10 ton of wheat. That 10 tonne of wheat in its biomass to get to it needs about 400 kilos of nitrogen. Regardless
0: uh, of other factors in the soil? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so if, if you take the, the the physical biomass of the, the, the stem, the leaves, etc., yeah. it's not all going off in the crop, but it needs that architecture to grow that 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 that, that yield. Now, really good biologically active soils at this moment in time, you can deliver maybe 200, maybe 250. Hmm. So there's still an element that uh, that we will be using. 150 kilos of applied nitrogen to get 10 tons of wheat is a really good place to be.
0: Yeah.
1: And we can probably bring that down. I don't see with the way a lot of farms are geared that we can get to affording just to grow eight tons. Yeah. Uh, with hoping we get to eight tons because there's the, the, the on cost, the finances are such that we need those extra tons. Now in an ideal world, there are schemes like wild farms, you know, where you're being paid more for your grain by using no pesticides, only 80 kilos of nitrogen. And that break evens around about four to six tons. So yes, however, not everyone's going to pay the amount because at the end of the day here, wheat's still a commodity. So we are, we are hostage to the world market in that respect,
0: yeah, yeah, that's the thing is there's so many other factors beyond just the the weather and the fertility of the soil going into making a farm business viable or not, right? So the prices yeah. you're going to get and how much the inputs that you're reliant on are going to cost,
1: yeah, and, and that's where the, you know the old-fashioned mixed farm brilliant. you spread your risk, you know yeah. and if you, if your corn gets full of weeds, you whole crop it, wrap it and feed it to your animals. It, that there's so many um ways of enabling you to
0: to make uh, money out of your mistakes if you've got a mixed farm sure sure but do you really see that as something that is increasingly or decreasingly viable at least in the UK I know that you know specialization and efficiency are often what drive these commodity markets is that moving in a good direction are things starting to open up for those possibilities yes yeah,
1: I think so certain so a lot of the, the growers I'm working with, we're seeing livestock coming, trying to come back on the farm. Um, now it's not what you call a true mixed farm because they're flying flocks of of sheep that will come in, so they're not no. owned by that. That's no. um,
0: in the right direction.
1: They, they are. So that, that so I think that there's a want there. Um, but the difficulty is, you know, if you bring mixed farming back, a lot of the farming. Uh, generation have lost the knowledge, livestock lo- knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 really, really difficult. Um, we're trying to do more of that kind of livestock, mixed farming by doing it with cover crops and crimping cover crops and doing it that kind of way or by cropping, et cetera. Um, so I would love to sit here and say, yes, the world, you know, the, the countryside will change and all the mixed farms again, but I don't see with the pressure of the end producers as in the processors wanting the low price point for food. I don't think we'll get there.
0: Yeah, yeah. that in a recent conversation I had with John Kemp was also what he mentioned too, that there's all this discussion about how farmers need to make this transition towards regenerative management and without the industry that buys their products, incentivizing more regenerative ways of producing or creating more regenerative um, structures in their own businesses, quite frankly the growers themselves don't have nearly as much decision-making power as we often try and put on them yeah. no totally agree with that um totally agree uh, and it's it's that's the frustrating part Yeah,
1: you know, we we're we as primary producers are holding a hand up saying we're doing something here yeah it's, it's not being realized or it's not being uh, rewarded yeah um and that's you know ultimately, I think you know what we've done with some of the, the high value lettuces and things we're still being paid the same price for them. Yeah. Um, they, we know they we've grown them in a much more sustainable way
0: yeah Have you started to go into research about nutrient density as it corresponds with fertility of soil, health of soil, function of soil, you know however we want to articulate that. Is that something that you're interested in at this point? Yeah yeah,
1: yeah massive. we we did a, again, 15 years, 14, 15 years ago, we were doing quite a lot of work with uh, cabbage okay. and nutrient density. And we we got some pretty good results. We were, we were placing, changing the nutritional process, and uh, sorry, we were changing the fertilizer program, cultivations, we were putting biology into the blocks. And if you, with the cabbage, you transplant them in, in blocks yep. on materials. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we were seeing um, really interesting numbers increasing in calcium and iron. Okay. Uh, this got quite excited. A few people were quite excited by this, and then it, we then started talking to the retailers, and the retailers, said, yeah, they love this. Um, can you guarantee for the whole year that you
0: can do this? Uh we went, they still want consistency and uniformity.
1: Yeah, and this is, and we said, oh, hang on, I don't know. I'm not sure we can because we were, You're now pitching us that for every cabbage we produce on this farm. It's got to have an x higher level of calcium and iron than the average, and we said, its a biological system. No, we can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was—it was a real, real difficulty. Um, there's a, you know, we're now, we're now doing quite a lot more of this in cereals,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, we're, we're, we're we're looking and we're seeing we're seeing a trend. in the early days. The problem I have is that as soon as we start processing it, because cereal tends to get highly processed before it gets to the heat.
0: yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, are, are we kidding ourselves? Lost if we all that any good? in the process anyway. Yeah, well that's
1: <laughs> 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 but it goes back to your your about the processing and need to regen that part. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, we need to stop ultra processing the great food that we produce because every time you do that, you're denaturing stuff. Yeah. So, we can be really clever and do really good stuff and then it still turns out as a really a piece of cardboard at yeah. The end of the day. Yeah.
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah it's so. really interesting there's but it's, but it's in you know we're seeing, we're seeing it more of it on certainly on livestock producers you know that's mm-hmm. really cool because every bit of forage they produce on the farm is about nutrient density it's not about just green watery grass or um
0: right high, high start so that that's where We are seeing some improvements. And I mean, so that's not something that we went into much as an example on what we've talked about until now, but the livestock aspect of this and the health of pastures, the diversity of forage, their ability to self medicate through diverse plants out on the land can definitely have a direct effect on the quality of the meat, how the reproductive health of those animals. Uh, develops over time how they put on weight all of these other things that are looked at in the production there do you have any insights from your connection with soil to end product for for livestock producers anything that you can say kind um,
1: of- in, only in, in the respect that yes where we're working with the soils with livestock producers we take the same principles you know diversity soil diversity microbial diversity etc we are Seeing improvements in animal health, we're seeing. I think I did this quite a while ago. We did some work with milk, yeah. Looked at the nutritional content, of milk, and we were improving the nutritional content of milk mm-hmm. through it's just it's obvious. You <laughs> you feed an animal more diverse species with different mineral profiles, you have a different mineral profile in your meat, your milk, and your livestock. And that's a kind of it's a really simple thing that again, human health. Just, we should all turn ourselves into grazing animals <laughs> ultimately not i mean obviously we need to eat some meat but it, it's about the fact that the animal we, we know we can do it to an animal but as soon as we start processing food we break that to the human yeah. our animals are really good The cow, and the sheep that we're feeding they eat that grass that herbal lay that bit of hedge or whatever I mean, you can see the results, but seemingly yeah. we can't make that connection between human food and...
0: and, and food. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Bizarre. There's so many disconnects along this whole chain. Just oh, start be. at the very beginning is important, but I mean, it takes us back to what we were kind of railing on at the beginning. You can microanalyze all of these things and miss the broad patterns or the implementation at some point, and all of that detailed learning is not very useful.
1: Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely.
0: Well, look, uh, on that note, let's maybe wrap this one up. I think we have a lot to explore in further ones. I really like the idea that we spoke about before starting this this recording about maybe getting a few heads together, looking at some soil analysis, maybe from my farm or some of our clients here and really breaking it down, seeing what a uh, consultation with a group of people like this would, would look like if there is conflicting information or advice or, you know, really just see what comes out of it. I would love to pursue that in the future. Um, before you go, can you tell our listeners where they can find, well, connection to your company, how they can get in touch with you and learn more?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. They've wanted. Uh, the easiest thing is my email is um, ian at soiladvice.com. Um, that's probably the easiest thing. Drop an email or the website is soiladvice.com dot uk i should know that off the top of my head sure. <laughs> don't worry
0: i'll yeah. put the link in the show notes
1: yeah i'm not very really, i'm not I, I as you know i'm not very commercial and <laughs> i'm not very really good like that um but again yeah we're, we're here you know we're, we're we're active in the whole of the uk uh we're active in europe um and then as you know i work very closely with ed brown of back yeah. ecology and ben taylor davis at regen ben so we're we're here trying to deliver a service for everyone to talk about improving things really.
0: Three musketeers of UK region ag. Oh man,
1: don't call us out. That. Yeah, I'm to to label little
0: <laughs> we'll lump you guys in. I'm sure we'll have to get another panel. That was such a fun time last time. And then Yeah, no, space.
1: I love I love I generally I love your idea of doing getting some soil tests in, a couple of different ones getting a group of people and we'll do gonna record a panel discussion.
0: Well let's see yeah. how that goes because it was difficult enough to coordinate our schedule was one. Oh, yeah. Let's try and do that with three. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point talk about this maybe in a year from now. No, I think (laughs) we can make it happen. I'll definitely open that discussion and we'll see if we can get it uh, rolling.
1: Yeah, that'd be brilliant.
0: Well, (laughs) again, thanks so much for all of your insights. I I really learned a lot, uh, especially from taking a step back and looking at this from someone who has so many years of experience and has looked at so many different soil types from so many different growers. I think that is increasingly the antidote for this um siloed micro specialty you know uh, rabbit hole that we were kind of uh, you know getting on the case of in the beginning it, it's really valuable to be able to step back look at this from a pattern perspective and understand whether we're moving in the right direction in general or not maybe not just in in one individual spot so again thank you for that that's well, pleasure it on. we'll keep up the good work it's good stuff too <laughs> Thanks once again to Ian. I've included the links to his company's website and his contact in the show notes for this episode on the website at regenerativeskills.com. Now, before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners. Exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from this show. Our Instagram account, at regen skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet. And we're here to help you find your path. So, as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future and I'll be right by your side along the way.